Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. After some debate, we think we've worked out that this is show 145. Um, either that or it's just many. Show number many. Um, <laughs> and yes, there we go. And uh, it, it, it doesn't really matter much. Who's counting apart from everybody? Um, and uh, of course, we can never keep up with negative positives because uh, they are... They're prolific, let's say prolific, um, and uh, well over 200 shows by now, I am sure. Anyway, right, on with our show. Uh, it is show 145, and you've already heard giggling daintily there in the background is my, my <laughs> wonderful co-host, Rachel. Hiya, how you doing? Eh? It's nice to chat with you again. It does seem like a while. I missed last it week's does. show. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, maybe we haven't spoken for a fortnight or so. So that's. I think it might be actually. Yeah, it's because obviously um, Graham and I did um, backing paper in between as well. You see, so uh, it always feels like a there's been a longer chunk of time. Ah, uh, yeah, that's that other show, up. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, our, our other show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that other show. That's that one we had to let Graham have because yeah, to, to, to cut down the length of the proper one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Oh, and then, and, and of course, there is Graham as well. How are you doing? Here buddy? I am. I'm good. Thank you, dude. Yeah, I'm very good. Yeah, it's nice to have the family back together tonight because yeah. it does feel between, you know, us recording with um, Bellamy and the photography show and you not being here last week, it does feel like it's been a while since we've uh, all been back together. So, yeah, it's great. The team's back in the room. Excellent. Woo. Yes, indeed. Yes. Good fun. And not only just the three of us, though, but a super special guest as well, who now I'm sure you will be able to introduce for us. Uh, I am really pleased to have this person with us because we it's long been a kind of a, a driving mission of our podcast to try and make it an all encompassing podcast and try and get as many people in from the varied and different backgrounds as possible and not let it just become, you know, a uniform palette of, oh, here is the sort of same kind of photographer week in, week out. And there's been one demographic, which I think in general is sorely underrepresented in photography and especially analog photography. And that is, of course, um, the middle-aged white man. And we have got the <laughs> whitest middle-aged white man here. It's the silver halide fox himself. Welcome to the show, Ian Fleming. Ian. Hi, Ian. <laughs> Hi guys, thanks a lot for that fantastic introduction. <laughs> it's an absolute delight to have you with us. Now, some listeners may actually be going, I recognise the name Ian Fleming. And that's because you are a, a serial correspondent, not just for ourselves, but for, for many podcasts, especially the FPP. I actually saw somebody on your Instagram feed um, fanboying at the fact that they were looking at the Instagram feed of Ian Fleming correspondent to the FPP. So you you, you are a, a known name in, in the podcast. I have done quite a few emails. That is true. I can't deny it. Mainly in my mission to promote, uh, I suppose, to promote Instamatic and 126 and uh, also just a feedback that my passion in photography really well let's get into some of this because whilst i might be making a slight fun of the fact that uh, we've got a uh, you know a, another white gentleman joining the show uh, of um i don't know whether you're the oldest person we've ever had on the show ian but let's say that you are um because that's <laughs> truly you're on top form this evening graham it's going no, really well i'm, I'm really looking forward you. to the bit of the show where you stop being nice to the guests <laughs> um but no because it, it's fascinating to me because you're it's very easy to sort of speak to people who are fairly new into photography or who are you know coming to the, for the first time or whatever who are passionate and enthusiastic and into everything but uh 
it's amazing to me to see somebody who's been shooting film and doing stuff for their whole life who still has so much passion and also so much drive to explore and involve themselves with what's new and what's going on. Um, but before we get into all that, I'd actually like to hear a bit about your history and um, partly give some of your work history because that sounds pretty fascinating. Anyway, so can you give us a bit of your work background? Because I think it's kind of relevant. I think it's certainly relevant um, to, you know, your photography and your involvement with the visual arts. So what have you been up to over the many, many years on this planet? I'm a, originally, I'm a qualified electronics engineer, uh, and I was in BBC Radio and Television. I was in World Service and then BBC Outside Broadcasts. And then I left in the late 90s, and I did some sales work, uh, selling, surprise, surprise, broadcast equipment to people <laughs> in the west of England. Uh, and then, latterly, I joined uh, Ardman Animations in Bristol, a fantastic company who, in the UK, will be known for Wallace and Gromit, and our American friends will know them for their claymation again, Wallace and Gromit, uh, Creature Comforts. Um, and... Uh, I ended up with them as being their head of technology for commercials and broadcast work. So and so I switched them or helped switch them off film to digital. Right, um, hang up, hang up this call. What? <laughs> That's it, guys. Don't hang on, we're like, what? <laughs> well, done, well done, Ian. Thanks, thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's yeah, but. We're, you know, in a business sense, and if you look at anybody shooting uh, for business, a lot of people, hardly anybody, it's very difficult, the film workflow, to make that stack up. When you're shooting motion picture film, in a business sense, it, it was difficult, you know, in terms of the budgets as tight and everything. So, uh, yeah, and, um, but what they did for me was massively encourage my appreciation of um, photography and image quality uh, so the company's got a passion for that as anybody would know who looks at their output and that really i picked up that and that re-encouraged me in photography so a photography is uh, i understand something that's always been part of your life i mean you obviously you grew up with um film and it's it's always been there, but was it your time at Ardman Animation that moved it from being just a part of the fabric of your life into an actual hobby? Yes. Uh, so when I was there, the two things happened. They re-encouraged me to do, you know, a classic uh, black and white developing and printing. I suppose nothing to do with the company, more that that's, you know, the ethos, really. And also, of course, uh, impossible project happened with Polaroids mm -hmm. and... So the two things came together. So I became a massive fan of <laughs> spending far too much money on Impossible Project film <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, with an old SX-70, and I still adore that. Oh, it's uh, a beautiful camera, that, isn't it? It's, it's just camera, such a classic. And I yeah. do miss those quirky films, even though they were a nightmare sometimes to shoot, you know? Because you, you were very early on board with the impossible stuff. I think I saw a picture. I think one of your first pictures actually on Instagram from 2011 was of, I guess, probably your first box of impossible project film, which would have only been in its first year of production anyway. Um, and so slightly less stable than a, a <laughs> um, dodgily made nuclear bomb at that point, I would imagine. What was it about? Had you shot a lot of Polaroid before? No. Then? So in the business, I think you'll have heard this in other podcasts, in the business we used to use Polaroid because the the product photography was all done on 5.4 uh, 
um, transparency slide film. So you would take um, a Polaroid for the client as a reference shot, because obviously you'd have to wait for the, the, the 5.4 to come back from the lab. And so I hadn't personally used it. But the, I suppose the appeal was that you got this rather, uh, as you say, temperamental film that you had to shoot almost into a box, to be honest, out the camera because it was so light sensitive. But that appealed to me. The technical side of that, make, trying to get that film to work, really appealed to me. Um, so I think that was what driven me. It's a bit like the rest of the. Uh, I suppose the 126 is the same thing. How are we going to get this thing to work again? It's the same passion. Um, sticking with the Polaroid stuff, just for a bit, because it's clear that whilst that was certainly the initial drive, it's really stuck with you. Uh, you have probably spent more money than I've earned in my entire life on Impossible Don't and go there. Polaroid <laughs> Don't film. go there. Um, <laughs> you, shoot, you shoot an awful lot. And at this point, it's become a much more stable and much more usable film. Um has that detracted from your enjoyment of using it at all? No, but it's a good question. I don't shoot as much. I've come back to traditional film, I think, a bit more. Um, but no, I'm really pleased because what needed to happen for that to survive was that it did become more stable and it became a, a consumer product where people can buy it in the shop. So I can go to Jessup's in Exeter and I can buy a Polaroid original stock in the shop. So that's massively good. And I can buy cameras in the shop. And that's what needed to happen, really. Mm. So despite my whinging in an email to you a few programmes back about them, uh, it's been really good. I mean, that's what needed to happen. Mm. Uh, and, I, uh, yeah, I've, I've got even got an Intrepid 8x10 and I shoot some polaroid 8x10 which is about as expensive as oh you my can god get. that is the crack cocaine of polaroid <laughs> <laughs> take your word for it Ian. <laughs> oh my god it's like 17 quid a shot <laughs> basically wow <laughs> so you didn't want to get you, that wrong do you uh yeah i posted my fails on april fails day that's happened Excellent. when i pulled the neg out instead of the dark side <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the failures you can make in large format if you make them with polaroid it's just even worse mate you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. you can... yeah sorry i was just gonna ask how, how do you how do you kind of like prevent yourself from making those mistakes as much then what what's your kind of like what's your workflow to when you okay. know that you're spending 17 pound a shot on a shot <laughs> that's so quite as you would know with large format make sure that when you've set the shot on the ground glass make sure the shutter's shut number one okay and do a test fire of the shutter and check it's you know, all happy and then pull the dark slide up and not with, the negative <laughs> well yeah with, with the polaroid they recommend you pull the the sleeve the thing sits in out when it's in the dark slide which is fine and the other thing with polaroid because it's 600 asa so it's a, any slight light leaks around the dark mm. slide so Leave the dark cloth over the back of the camera is a good tip. Um, so, yeah, it's just everything you would do with 5x4 is magnified again, really, on 8x10. But the Intrepid 8x10, my God, what those guys have done, you know, it's fantastic, really. So what is it, £17 a shot? I mean, I suffer enough with um, paralysis when shooting uh, almost anything, um, which is my excuse for why I never take any pictures. <laughs> but, you know, especially when you're shooting something which is 
um, either in short supply or as expensive. I know when I had some pack film, it's like, well, I don't want to use this because then it'll be gone and I'll never have any more. When you're going out with um, 8x10 Polaroid film, how do you get over that? And, and what kind of stuff do you look to shoot? Are you are you going out with a very clear idea in your head? Of, okay, today, this is this. This is what I'm going to yeah, get. Yeah, I, uh, I haven't done so much recently, but because... To be fair, they've only just started making it again. But, uh, yeah, you go off with an idea of what you want to do. The thing I really want to do personally now is do port the thing 8 by is fantastic at, and I need to learn more for me, is to do portraiture with flash. And that's something, it's in my checkbox to learn how to do that, really. Uh, I haven't got there yet. But... Uh, oh. That's, what, so my advice it? on that one would be practice with something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, do you know, lots of books on flash, but it's really difficult to find a book on totally manual flash. They all assume the camera can talk to the flash. It's quite difficult to find a book that goes pre, pre-digital. Um, yeah, yeah that, that that is tricky actually yeah to find books or, or or to find any of the other usual resources like youtube or anything else like that um, i'm actually in the middle of um watching through I, I bought the um training program from sandra cohen who is obviously one of our yeah. previous guests um specifically to learn more about using flash with film and as a portrait film photographer so that I could like upskill a bit on that um and because yeah again I had the same you know issue I couldn't really find those resources out there and so far I'm just absolutely loving it it's been brilliant oh, that's really cool great you Rachel yeah yeah um yeah so um she she has various courses on uh, creative live and um she's just done one that was like called the missing link so yeah check out sandra cohen's um work you might find there's something in there of of kind of like good use for you um so yeah really enjoying that i was literally watching it while i was making my tea tonight so uh, yeah. i'm about three modules in <laughs> oh, cool and get a flash meter as well that'll help I've absolutely got that. They've come. If you buy on eBay, you can buy. A, I've got a good Minolta flash meter, and that's been. A, yeah, they're fantastic. To be honest, yeah. I, I don't think she works particularly with Polaroid. Um, it doesn't but, really matter, but, but I, exactly. I was going to say shooting Polaroid. I just shoot HP uh, five. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Same, same really, and and portrait really, and, and what have you. But um, but yeah, I just uh, found that useful. So there you go. So what Thank what you. is it about the Polaroid, Danny, and that? that that will drag you into spending that kind of money on um taking those shots what because there must be a fairly deep love it is it with the eight by ten again it's like okay now this is a challenge therefore i want to conquer it um or is it just a really a love for that medium two yeah there is the eight by ten challenge which is i want to get better at it um and obviously you've got this enormously shallow depth of field with eight by ten and you know that's a quite a challenge if you it's all right for landscape and stuff but if you're in a lit situation you know you end up have you got the nose in focus or the eyes in focus you know it's that's that's razor sharp um but also yeah the medium the the polaroid you know has some I don't know, it's more like an arty feel to the uh, medium rather than a straight photograph. You know, it brings a bit more um, creativity in its own way, I think. Yeah. 
I always loved how um, Rob Hawthorne did his his shots on Polaroid and um, uh, lovely Hilary Clark. She gave me um, a pack of, of Peel Apart film. And a bit like you were saying, Graham, before, it's it's just that fear. Oh, my God. You know, if I'm going to mess this up, there's like six shots left in this. And if I if I mess up, you know, then then it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. So, uh, yeah, kind of scary stuff. Be interesting to know how you get over that just going for it. I think. So, yeah, I funded the 8x10 by selling all my FP3000B out of my fridge. Ah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, because uh, obviously the, the black and white Fuji FP3000B went, I had tons of it in my film fridge. And so I just, and yeah, I it made decent money out of that. So that paid for my 8x10 Polaroid kit, basically. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting i think for me if it's if it's flash though rach i think you just have to to shoot you have to do like they did in the old days yeah except that instead of shooting with the polaroid as the test shot you no shoot no with, no you shoot, you shoot with the digital camera as the test shot yeah. um and then when, when, uh, until you're comfortable yeah. you've got the the exposure oh it's um, a very different sense of, you know obviously film and and digital you know in terms of exposure it's very different i suppose it's just practice isn't it it's just practice 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 it it is and the it it depends on you know if if you're somebody that likes to work with a single film stock and Mm -hmm. understands how far you can push it so if you know for example and i'll yeah i'll make this up and somebody yeah listeners please correct me i'll enjoy (laughs) i'll make this up hey Um, that's my job i'll make this (laughs) but but if you know for example that you really want to shoot portra 160 Mm -hmm. at uh, I don't know, you want to overexpose it by two thirds of a stop, let's say, mm-hmm. right? Because that makes it 100 then, doesn't it? So that, the, the numbers add up a bit then. So then you, you can you can take your, your flash meter and set it to 100 and make sure that you've got the, you know, um, uh, uh, and make sure you've got sufficient light coming in. Um, and then you can take the shot and you'll be okay. Um, if if you are if you're shooting you know just at box speed though, actually you can do, you can just set the meter up and 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 do whatever it says with with modern emulsions. Um, mm. Yeah, with something like a portrait or HP five. I mean HP five. Uh, you know is is a great practice film because you're, yeah. you're almost certain to get something out of HP five, aren't you? Well, Although basically, as long as you're sort of overexposing a bit, you know, po- po- possibly it's almost a bit of a uh, a, a, re- a not a red herring, a, a, a sort of lulls you into a false sense of security because <laughs> it's too good, it's too good. It's, it's difficult <laughs> to overexpose HP five, isn't it? Yeah, but, yeah. But it, but the it's um you know it, once you get your head around it, I found is it, it's actually more about um. Uh, anticipating the shape of the resulting light than it is yes. about the well, yeah, yeah. than it is yeah. about the uh, exposure because ex- exposure is yeah. exposure and exposure for flash is way more simple than exposure for normal photography mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you've only got two variables to worry about yeah. you don't have to worry about shutter speed so yeah yeah well because obviously if you're opening up your shutter speed is controlling the ambient light isn't it it's doing a different job yeah. from if you're shooting with natural light if you're shooting with flash or strobe Yes, absolutely. Yes, um, and and it took. I have to confess, it took me some while to get my head around. I was like, how how is that a thing? How is that a thing? But once I realised, or sort of, or not realised, because because you can always read these things, or or yeah. Once I internalised, if that's a word, um, that actually, that's yeah. <laughs> that actually the the it, it it's it it's simply because the. Uh, the shutter speed the shutter is open for, for longer. way longer than mm. the the flash flashes for yeah. 
And so yeah. it doesn't matter whether your shutter speed is a 60th or a 125th or a mm. 250th. If mm. your flash takes only a fraction of that time, each of those settings will give you the same flash exposure. Mm. And, and once you get yeah. to that point uh, and, and you can get your head around it, because for all of us that have learned that exposure is a three-way thing, right? <laughs> and, and then it's, it's like been it drummed it, into it? us you for know, decades. A you, know, you go, well, yeah. where's the third one gone then? How come yeah. I don't need the third one anymore? Of the third one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's strange. Yeah, sort of slightly different mindset to to get into and 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 just kind of like yeah well i think as you say age you know it's about working out where the um light is going to be falling if you're using flash as opposed to a strobe because i believe you know just from listening to uh to sandra's stuff obviously talking about strobes as being a modeling light so you can actually see where the light is going to fall and you know exactly what it's going to kind of look like and then you're just measuring for it really um as opposed to flash obviously you know we only see it as it literally <laughs> flashes <laughs> and then it's gone so that feels a little bit more like huh what's going on there is this going to come out looking as it's supposed to look where's it where's the light actually going to hit the subject you know that kind of thing yeah and i have found actually it does change the way i light shots Mm -hmm. so um give two two examples of that one is that um i tend to use grids less often because with a grid you can never be quite sure where it's pointing and you can say to your subject when you look up, can you see the holes in the grid or do you just see it as a shut thing, right? And and you can sort of get a sense of it from there, but you're never quite sure if you try and snoot it or grid it too mm. much. So I tend to shoot with softer, bigger lights, more open lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing is to try, is not to aim such for... Uh, such small depth of field so if I'm Mm. shooting I mean I don't shoot medium format uh, sorry uh, large format but if I'm shooting medium format Mm. I want to I want to light to well I certainly don't want to need any wider than f4 and ideally I'd be shooting portraits at 5.6 or or maybe even f8 and and with with large format I mean especially 8 by 10 I mean you probably want to would you want to be shooting f11 Ian? Yeah, 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 I've shot at F F sixteen, or you know, to try and get that depth, really. F eleven, F sixteen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so how? Yeah. So Ian, how do you? How would you set up your lighting for for working with that kind of thing? Well, my experience would be for continuous lighting. That's where my weakness is, to be okay. honest. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I would, yeah, I would have, um, I would have probably have some a, a reflector to bounce a bit back you know on the face somewhere okay mm-hmm. yeah um and I'd, I'd have key and fill so i'd have a i suppose what you call it the classic three-point uh, lighting yeah almost. you've got it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And so i'd have a good fill but i'd have a key to give me some highlight really right so you'd have sense. to have an assistant as well then <laughs> no no? <laughs> don't do assistant <laughs> those days are long gone <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like the one-man band, you know, holding your reflector and holding your stand and holding your camera. You got to do all of it. On well, your I've own. seen shoots oh, where they get the model to hold the reflector, haven't they? You oh know. yeah, yeah. God bless them. <laughs> well, this this sort of spirit of um, investigating new stuff, whether it's working with flash or whatever, um, it does seem to be like a continuing thing. You you said before we were recording, you were saying that a lot of the pe- a lot of your peers. Um, uh, are at this point quite diehard digital converts because you grew up where film was the only choice and got to a point in your life that when digital landed, it was just perfect timing to go, oh, thank goodness, this is so much easier. <laughs> I don't have to uh, worry about it anymore. Oh, 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, and I know this, you know, as I mentioned before, a lot of the people who are at the camera club that I go to, are, this is exactly, you know, they're like, no, we shot film. We know. We, no, thank you. <laughs> this is better for us. Um, they, you know, they, 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 they love the convenience. Um, but not only have you stuck with film, you seem very keen on embracing everything new that is going on. Um, are there any Kickstarters that you haven't backed? Because <laughs> those yes. things... I can tell you I've given... Yeah, yeah. That's fair comment, Graham. Because yeah, <laughs> you, know, you, you, you seem to be like game for literally anything. You already mentioned about the fact that you were um, an early um, uh, an early pioneer with the... Intre- uh, not Intrepid, with the Impossible Project. And... Um, you were on board with uh, Intrepid and Camera Dactyl. And you, I mean, how many four by five cameras do you have? Actually, that's probably a fair question. Now, three. Only three. Oh, that's quite simple. Oh, I, I bought an MP. So I bought a lot of my uh, what you call film cameras when digital came in. So they were all very cheap. Um, and I've got an MPP Mark Eight, which is a lovely um uh, five by four, um, really nice camera, and I think was covered on the large format photography podcast actually, um, and that's a really good camera. Uh, I bought the camera dactyl because, having worked with youngsters at school, I could see what Ethan had done there. I took that to France, and I was just swamped with people around me. You know, that product it may not be like the top end it's not a sinar or a uh, you know uh, an ebony or whatever but um that camera will attract new people to large format just because of the colors and the bonkers look you know and what he's done so i could see that that was going to be good for the business for good for photography in my view and what about some of the other stuff that you've backed and and or just new things that you've investigated because they, they, like I said you do seem to have all the, all the new toys I'm pretty sure I saw a, I'm, I could be wrong have you got a 24 squared yes oh, I bought that. <laughs> yeah yeah I haven't finished the role that's fantastic value to be fair to for Graham at homemade cameras what yeah. you get for the money you, it actually comes with film in it um I've not done pinhole at all um I've got an x pin to build from uh, Ethan which I haven't done because I've been so busy with other stuff um so pinhole I've got little or no experience in but I thought I'd have a dabble I suppose really um and uh, I'm very passionate that the, the maker community, you know, all the guys with the 3D printing and all that sort of stuff, they're really driving things forward in terms of uh, exciting new products that, and affordable, in my opinion. Well, Ian, you know, Ian um, supported me as well, you know, yeah, bought one of my yeah, analog yeah. adventure kits. And, and the uh, nice lady in America who got that for uh, Secret Santa. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, is that where it went? Oh, fantastic. That's so cool to know. Um, I, I didn't realise that it was going over there. That's awesome. Thank you so much, for obviously, for that, Ian. But uh, again, you know, it just sort of like shows how, how supportive you are of all of that kind of like community side of things. Um, but yeah, so... Um, w- w- interesting to find out if there were any that you you kind of went oh yeah maybe this like graham was asking about kickstarters and then went maybe not <laughs> <laughs> no i've you sort of rode back. back i'm having a clear actually yeah because uh, after listening to you go i'm having a clear out i'm liquidating some of the oh, candle stocks 
and turning them into film basically that's not so. that's not a bad thing that's not i although having said that i seem to have taken a step backwards from my trying to clear out and i bought a new camera the other week but that's like, <laughs> is this at the photography show yeah yeah that was a digital camera yes yeah, so yeah but it's uh uh, which, by the way, I'm thoroughly enjoying at the moment. But that's that's another that's another story. But um, yeah, it's I I, I opened the I opened the door of my fridge the other day, uh, the the one that's got all the film in it. Um, and I don't have a massive film stash, but I genuinely looked at it and thought, oh crap, when am I going to shoot all of that? <laughs> and and not because I don't like shooting film, of course I do, but it's just it's just I'm at a funny stage at the moment where where uh, I I'm feeling it feeling some burdens around it so i can appreciate you know getting rid of some of the cameras and turning that into film so that you can go out shooting i think that's mm-hmm. that's that's it that's a good thing and i need to make more opportunities to go out shooting although time is not my friend most of the mostly um i i struggle with the whole time of things but there you go um uh is, so uh how many how many cameras have you sold then in or, or otherwise oh. given away or whatever well, I did have a large collection of the Olympus Pennies, which were lovely, but um, and I had really nice ones. Uh, quite you know, all, I collected pretty much the whole lot, and I sold those, and I got good money for them. But the problem with the half frame is you put a 36 in, you've got 72 shots to get through <laughs> before you finish. It's like, mate, I lose the will to live. Sorry. It's like... so no, I'm totally I... with you on that one because I lose the will to live when I put a 36 roll in a normal 35 <laughs> mil cat. I was like, how on earth am I going to shoot 36 photographs? That's insane. Give me a get, get, give me a medium format camera. Where I, I like 12. Cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love 12. I'm good with 15 because I shoot 645 rather than 6. Okay. Okay, so I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, good yeah. with 15 uh, i can just mm-hmm. uh, i just about have the the moral fortitude to shoot 15 shots <laughs> after <laughs> that it starts to get a bit much for me i'm afraid how have you found you um work shooting film into your into your life in with um in terms of time obviously it's something that we all I think on the podcast struggle with trying to get out enough and actually shoot. Um, did you make it part of your commute? Do you do it as something that you yeah, uh, I, specifically go out to do at a weekend or, or how do you do it? So uh, I normally carry my little XA2 in my pocket most of the time. Great camera. Yeah. And that, and uh, uh, now I'm doing more street stuff and, and actually, I actually, you know, getting to groups with chatting to people and getting them to react a bit and so that's really rewarding um and otherwise if i've got spare time yeah i take a bag of cameras and just w- go for a walk <laughs> and shoot stuff <laughs> you know but say we've got polaroid week coming up you know two or three weeks time mm-hmm. haven't we? so yep. i'm on a mission to shoot because i've been a bit, i've been shooting so much hp5 street that i haven't shot any polaroid so i'm on a mission to sort of shoot a bit of expired polaroid for polaroid week at the moment so uh, and i do fit it in yeah mm. uh, it's part of my yeah day-to-day life really fantastic and and what do you do with all the polaroids that you've shot in the in the past have you um have you put them into exhibition do you have them up on display at home what's the kind of like final output for you uh i've got a huge lot of them i put them in so a fair few i've started to put in albums which is quite nice actually that Mm -hmm. works quite well uh the better ones i've yeah i've scanned up and had printed up and they're framed and on the wall in the house somewhere um, and that works quite well i would encourage everybody if you like your photography or you've got a shot you like 
print it and you know put it up on the wall or do something with it don't just leave it on the computer i i'm yeah i'm with you on that one the whole putting it up on the wall thing i spent quite a lot of my time at the photography show going around the stands of different printers and different Mm -hmm. printing technologies and especially the dye sublimation printers because some of those i think i know that guy he's from up in wales where i grew up (laughs) yeah yeah that's a dye sublimation yeah he lives next door to jones the steam i think (laughs) but tell us about old dye yeah but it's well so what what i mean dye dye sublimation is not a new technology but i want to say and and it may just because just because i'm starting to get interested in i want to say that it's become slightly more affordable and accessible in recent years than it was to, and now now this, this is what you're, you're trying telling to your wife yourself anyway. yeah well, like, like, so so yes and no but but going back to <laughs> going back to possibly the late 60s but certainly in in the 70s pretty much the only person who was doing um you know well-regarded photography and printing it dye sublimation was bill eggleston and and in the whole thing about you know you know him promoting the use of uh, of color photography as an art form and and then and I always forget the guy's name he was the curator at MoMo at the time uh, MoMa I should say at the time where where MoMo where MoMo is I have no idea but but yeah uh, a book called Where's MoMo actually <laughs> okay or FOMO fear of missing out yeah so so you know but but you know that, that those you know um, very saturated very bright colors that Eggleston is famous for was in part due to the printing processes that he chose to use which were not in use in 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 terms of sort of art gallery photography at the time but now I'm 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 finding those really interesting and um, I've had a couple printed recently and simply just yeah as Ian as you say just to go on the wall in my house right they're mostly photos of it, you know family um uh, more than anything else portrait stuff of, of of maybe my kids or or extended family or stuff like that and i'm really enjoying that and i'm finding because i do get yeah i mean of course yeah everybody says print but i think it's taken me some years to figure out what kind of printing is right for me and partly that's the the volume of printing partly that's what you do with it and and partly it's the the, the type of print you choose and i think where i'm sitting at the moment is I'm really enjoying just doing single prints of photographs that I like and that mean something to me. And that is often um, family stuff. Um, and they go up on the wall. We have a wall in our house, which is a photo wall full of photos of, of extended family. And, and that's where a lot of my print stuff goes. So, yeah, definitely a fan of putting stuff up on the wall. This is this is the thing I actually I want to sort of explore a bit more later the whole printing because this is part of the reason Ian got in touch in the first place and it's like okay this is great but before I get onto that one I do actually just want to ask Ian about something else which um, really does speak to your uh, engineering and mechanical background as well as your creative side Ian. and this is your single-minded pretty much desire to continue the lifespan of one two six film. Um, <laughs> Which, Sorry. I mean, even listening to Michael Rasso uh, speaking on negative positives this week, which everyone should listen to because it was a great show, but even he was saying, look, <laughs> one, two, six film, probably just don't bother. It's probably more hassle and it's worse. But um, I think we said this at the time um, on the photography show episode. Um, you were at the photography show, not only with a one, two, six film, this was one, two, six film that you had perforated yourself to shoot in this one, six. Now, I know that... <laughs> Um, you started out your photography life with a 126 camera, but that does not seem like enough of a reason to still be shooting it in 2019. So why 
one two six. That's a fair comment. Well, I suppose I bought a Kodak five, Instamatic five hundred a few years back, um, uh, and it's a lovely camera. It's got uh, you know Schneider lens, uh, leaf shutter, uh, PC sync. Um, it's a lovely little zone focus camera, light meter, etc. And it was like, so why, you know, if that had been a 35mm camera, it would have been hundreds of pounds. Uh, so I thought, well, you know, I reloaded it and I got quite good results out of it. But then me being me, of course, I thought, well, why won't it, why doesn't the, why won't the other cameras work with reloads? And of course, there's a whole, I won't go into it, we could do a whole podcast on it, but there's a whole problem. And Mike Russo and I have discovered the same problem. All the, the really collectible ones, that what I call the pretty Instamatics from the 60s, not only does the single perf uh, tell the camera where the, the the next frame is, but it also cocks the shutter. So if you put normal eight per film in, they usually jam. So I, I thought, well, how can I solve that? Uh, and initially I reloaded with backing paper, and that sometimes worked, but actually you need to go. So I figured out a way of um, modifying a 35 mil uh, motion picture splicer to put single perfs in. Um, so that's what I've done. Uh, I've sent samples to FPP and to uh Claud- claudio at uh fatmatic uh i'm waiting for them to come back to me really um so it's i think there are a lot of cameras people are moaning you know, there's the camera shortage god the instamatics you want to point and shoot and get one for five quid um, I, I have i have got in my grubby little mitts i've got um a 355x instamatic camera now this is a camera that i would love to use i think it's pretty basic but it is gold um with this new method that you're doing, will I be able to use this camera again? Because I'm pretty sure from what Michael was saying that if it's not a, what was it, a 15? I can't remember what is it. What no, it's, so the ones that work the best, there's um, the Instamatic 25, which was made in the UK, that's pretty, you can use that with a Factmatic or with reloads with backing paper. I'm pretty sure yours is from the, again, not a 60s camera from the model number. I can't tell without looking on the internet. But I, I would guess that's from the 70s and would probably be all right, to be honest, with a, either you reload a cartridge with a backing paper or you use the Factmatic, I would say. <laughs> But if you're, I suppose the question is, because you know, we see this like with 110 film and stuff like that. Um, obviously, the the first camera you described has got a really nice lens and there's a, a high-end um, yeah, 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 yeah. camera, it's which is, which are, are there, I see that surprised me. I know we always get these odd few anomalies like the Pentax Auto 110 and um, th- these cameras, which kind of buck the trend of the entire reason for the existence of the format. <laughs> Fair comment. Um, but for the majority of the cameras that are out there, like I said, like my little um, 355X, um, which um, you know, I have no idea what lens is on this because nobody was putting a name to that. Um, but it is gold, so I would really like to shoot it because that's pretty cool. Um, is, is it an avenue that people should be exploring? Or, you know, or is it an avenue, as you were saying about the guys with the Fatmatic and Mike Rass at the FPP, is it something that you think is genuinely worth pursuing in terms of the quality of results that people are likely to get using um, the the majority of the instamatic cameras that are out there? You know, the, the ones which are these cheap, probably I guess plastic lens cameras. Yeah. That are there. So I suppose the cheap plastic lens cameras are likely to give you square format uh, Lomo 
if I can use that term, uh, look, really, really. They've got 50th of a second shutter, plastic lens. So if they give you um, what I call the lamography look, I suppose, a bit. Um, which I'm not trying to denigrate lamography because actually they're the one people who could probably make the film without too much trouble if they wanted to. Um, but the high-end cameras are certainly worth... I mean, I've got... There's Rolly made a high-end... Boots, Packmatic, which is really a bro I could list them all, but there's quite a few decent cameras out there as well. Yeah, and it's a fair comment. I don't know whether I'm. I, I certainly people uh, get excited about seeing the cameras, but I'm not sure that it's going much farther sometimes. To be honest, have have you been tempted? Because you you've got quite a lot of familiarity with Kickstarter because you keep backing all of them, and you've got um, familiarity with the engineering and the electronics side. Have you ever been tempted to go? I wonder if I could do this myself, or does that no. idea? No, <laughs> I think not. <laughs> I realise what's involved with Kickstarter, and you know, you only have to talk to Hamish and and a few other people. You know, it's not a pain-free thing. Kickstarter, uh, you, if you get a big result, it's you know, you've got a lot of commitment, and it's all it's not an easy thing to do. Kickstarter, I don't yeah. think. Well, let, let's drag it back to print uh, and printing and getting images because that is a thing I think is definitely worth digging into more. Um, you got in touch to say that you'd got some darkroom stuff that you need to find a home for. Now, we'll we'll figure out a way to do that towards the end of the show. Um, but I think, as, as Aid was saying earlier, this thing of getting your work actually in, in physical form is really important um and it's something i've not been doing at all um do you still print at home in do you are you darkroom printing are you i mean obviously you do a lot of polaroid so that that problem is solved instantly but um are you printing your other work uh digitally I'm not currently darkroom printing uh i have an enlarger but since i moved here uh, i haven't set it up again i, I am going to get the intrepid enlarger and that i'm planning to do like postcards of um, my large format, really, 5-4 postcards. Um, I do print digitally, yeah, and I send the stuff out and get my stuff printed big as well, and I, I get that framed or and hang it on the wall. So I'm quite passionate about printing your own stuff. Yeah, I mean, but both you, because, Rachel, what about you? Do, you? do you print out much stuff at home? Not a huge amount, no. Um, obviously, I use it for work and workshops and things, but I don't really print that much out um, for for me, for, you know, sort of like personal putting up on the walls and things like that. Um, I, I do use, obviously, my, um, my dark room quite a lot, generally for like, you know, trade developing and that, that kind of thing. So if I am doing uh, printing, um, quite often I, I really enjoy contact print, you know, from a large format neg, that kind of thing. Um, that's always quite a lot of fun. So just, but that's obviously just blasting white light. Um, I do have my awesome little um, suitcase enlarger, which I just love using and love mm. showing people how to use. It's so much fun because you basically feel like James Bond um, <laughs> and just get to like build this thing from, from a suitcase. That's so cool. Yeah, they're so nice and so much fun and and completely, you know, like 
not not accurate at all <laughs> which is brilliant as well because you get these lovely sort of vignetting and um and all sorts of things so you kind of just have to like wiggle the lamp around in it and it, yeah it's a lot of fun um and it makes a great noise too when you switch it on i have had it checked just so you know <laughs> I'm not gonna this out, but, um it, it's all it all works fine it is all lovely but yeah it's um it's definitely it's definitely an older piece of you know temporary um uh, electronics shall we say as opposed to you know uh, a sort of like permanent um enlarger but it's just yeah it's just so much fun actually like building that kind of thing and just and then plug it in and it's like there you go you could just walk down the street with that and nobody would know you'd have gotten in larger basically <laughs> in your case and uh and then you, you know find find a dark room set it up make your make your own little prints of uh you know little spy spy and larger i think it's just so much fun that it's really cool so i enjoy that a lot um the, really that like fun novelty side of it but yeah in in terms of um printing for me personally i don't do enough i would lo- i would like to do more it would be it would be good to do more of that um but yeah i i love showing pe- other people how to you know kind of like make their first prints and and what have you in the, in the dark room that's so much fun it is a hugely um, satisfying thing. I, I'm, I'm interested, I guess, probably more for Aid and Ian then, as they are the ones that are definitely out of all of us are doing the most prints. When you're doing prints or when you're choosing images to send away to be printed or whatever it may be, are there certain things, what what draws, what, what are the pictures that sort of leap out and make you choose to shoot those ones, um, print those ones rather than some of the others? And, and is it... Are you finding that you're printing different images from the ones that you may necessarily be sharing on Instagram or something like that? Are there are there different things that go into a picture being wall worthy than being Facebook worthy or Instagram worthy? Yeah, some certainly some pictures print big really well, and mm-hmm. that doesn't obviously on Instagram. You just don't get that at all, really. And so yeah, I've got some uh, stuff I shot on. Portra, um, medium format, and I've, that's been blown up to like you know meter square, and that looks fantastic. Mm. It really does, um, and that's landscape mainly. Around do, you, this. do you do you print um, color as well in your dark room, Ian, or have I misunderstood? Sorry. No, I'm not printing the big. No, so my my dark room is in bits at the moment. Right. That's got to. So the now I I send the stuff to um, people I trust to print. To be honest. Ah, okay. So I send them a big tiff or whatever from my scan, which I've I've graded, if you like, already. And you, so you were saying about the, the, the big prints you were shooting on Portra. Yeah, they look lovely, to be honest. Um, and I, yeah, I think, and I've also even I've got some black and whites which are shot with my little uh, Rolly cord with you know um, Ilf, Ilford Delta thirty two hundred, some black and white street scenes. And when they, I was surprised. What I do is I, I blow them up as big as I can on the computer screen, and it gives you a feeling for what they might look like as a print. Obviously, I can't print big at home. I just don't have the big printers. It's not economically viable, I don't think, to do that big printing at home. Um, so yeah, I've got mainly black. I think most of it's black and white, to be honest. In terms what of, I... sorry, sorry, Graham. I was going to ask Aid because obviously Aid. You're perhaps not the most prolific sharer of your work online, <laughs> he said. Ah, oh, very dare you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, do you, like, 
is, is, I mean, I guess obviously family pictures and stuff like that are a, a really obvious choice. But um, do you find that you are looking for different stuff when you're choosing what to print? That you know, like you go, oh uh, yeah, this is a picture which I like to look at on the screen, but this is the picture I want to print. Is there is there any difference, or is it all oh, no, no? This is just a good picture. Full stop. Yeah. I... So I think yeah, for me there is right. So and if I think about just portraits as an example, and we could talk about other types of photo as well. But for for me for portraits there's some stuff the there's some things i look for um, and this is by trial and error but for example if it's mostly a headshot or head and shoulders or something like that you're know, sort of a, an upper body shot i i i don't often would wouldn't often necessarily print that as large as eight by ten um uh, because it sort of yeah it kind of jumps out at you so i mean this you have to take this in context of a wall in a house that's covered in photographs right mm. so um you know uh, and the way that that wall is now set up it's a bit jarring to see somebody's head actually printed eight by ten um more more what i feel more fits in an eight by ten frame these days is what you might call an environmental portrait which is you know i know that um i got one of my dad sitting in his back garden for example which mm. which is um you know i i love because you know uh, because of the way it's captured my dad but but that's that's um you know that that that's him sitting so you've got a lot of his environment around him in within an eight by ten frame but if i'd just taken a, a headshot of him or, or a close-up a shot of him mm. i'd probably print that a bit smaller yeah it's um, a good point so, so it's a very different feel isn't it it is it is a very different feel but again that's that that has to be taken in the context of a wall that's already really yeah. full of photographs um you know you know if you walk into you know, an art gallery and everything's got a big space around it and stuff like that, then that's a different thing. And eight by 10 in that situation is, is, um, is a very different thing. It would look very small, but yeah, like the, the Mona Lisa, isn't it? Almost every copy of the Mona Lisa is about 10 times as big as the real Mona Lisa. <laughs> you know? um, and so, so that there's that. Um, the other thing I think of is aspect ratios. And in here, I have I, I have a, a, a spectrum of aspect ratios that I, I I think of it, and I do think in terms of traditional ones. So, you know, the you're like a an eight by ten or four by five or whatever you want to call it as an aspect ratio for a portrait, and the portrait way up. That kind of works, right? There's a reason these things are the standards. That kind of works. Um, and but I also love to shoot portraits environmental portraits with a slightly wider angle lens and and in more of a movie aspect ratio i, I often crop things with a two to one ratio mm -hmm. and i've said so mm -hmm. the, the length of time it's taken me to find people to do things like aluminium prints on a two to one ratio <laughs> because i always got mine at loxley because um uh, yeah i had the similar similar issue but i also really love that that ratio that letter very much letterbox um sort of like feel to it and uh, yeah, they, they were ones that it was actually just in the kind of which of these would you like? You know, they're sort of standard. You can choose choose from those. And I was like, oh, my God, they actually have this already set. That's brilliant. Yeah, there's, there's not very many people that do it. That you yeah. have to search long. Yeah, yeah, you have to search quite hard to find somebody who do those slightly less standard aspect mm. ratios, especially in things like what they call wall art. And I love aluminium base prints, but oh, I okay. like them. Often I get of them. Often mm. I get them uh, small-ish, like sort of you know eight by ten-ish, which is. Mm. Uh, and there's not many people that will do them that small because they think you're going to want to make a statement piece and you know and, and have it as the thing that the one thing that sits on the wall in your house or hangs on the wall in your house so i think about that i think about um often focal length 
if I am shooting for something that I know is going to be a print. Um, and I don't always know it's going to be a print, but you know, some days I'll go out, yeah, what will happen is, and this is especially true with the family photo, well, what we'll do, I'll look at it and go, do you know what, that nephew, I'm seeing him this weekend, and the shot I've got of him is when he was two, and he's now eight. <laughs> so what am I going to do? I'm going to go out and I'm going to try and get a good shot of that nephew so I can update the family photo wall. And at that point, I'm thinking, right, I've got a mission because um, I'm, I'm shooting <laughs> for print right mm, mm. Um, and so at that point I'm thinking well how do I want to compose this am I looking for one of those movie aspect ratios am I looking for an 8 by 10 and that will impact then my choice of focal length so let's say I want to shoot a movie ratio and I want to shoot it on my Bronica right so I know I've got six centimeters to play with broadly speaking right <laughs> in terms of the width of the negative um, and somewhere and if I was shooting two to one I'd be looking for uh, a, a sort of three centimeters vertical wouldn't I but if I do that I'd be um, I, I might choose to shoot it's one of the reasons I love the Bronica 75 mil because that's actually not a, a portrait lens really on the Bronica but it gives me what I like as a width uh, that shoots a, a more letterbox style ratio so all of those sorts of things go through my head when i'm when i'm shooting for print um or when i'm doing post-production for print um you mm. know it's it's quite a lot of stuff that impacts the way i i mm. work like that i find it interesting that you're saying about um the fact that you really love aluminium and i wondered if there was uh you know it'd be nice to hear your thoughts and and perhaps ian's thoughts as well on like texture of print because obviously a massive part of printing your work is about it being a physical object isn't it and and how that feels as well um so yeah maybe you've got some thoughts on the reasons that you like aluminium and ian whether there's particular papers that you've liked in the past i know when we were at the photography show um graham yourself and myself and i think alex was with us as well and we went to the ilford stand and we were just literally i was just there for like probably 15 minutes just holding different papers and just being like these are so beautiful it was just so nice to actually have a whole selection of different ranges with the uh, I really love the matte finish and obviously something like aluminium is very different from that and it'd just be interesting to know what yourself and Ian you know uh, use really or what appeals well I'll tell you what I'll let Ian go first because I've just been talking for ages anyway and then I'll do my bits <laughs> okay Ian <laughs> well I've yeah I've I tend to go for matte to be honest mainly because mm. often I'm putting it under glass but um I've also experimented with um the uh, permajet uh, I think it's permajet they do an, an aluminium paper um which Ooh. you can buy in a pack uh, sort of, is uh, that £17 a, a shot too? No, <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It comes, actually, God bless them, it's, it's not too bad. They, they had a deal on it and I thought I'd try it. But it's actually <laughs> quite nice. It um, it pulls up, um, the highlights have got that sort of aluminium tone to them and it works quite well, to be honest. I quite like that. Um, I've seen but, I've seen some of that. I haven't used it for years, actually, but uh, just from a lab, just getting a print that's on the aluminium paper, and it, it does have a sort of inner glow about it, doesn't it? In a, uh, I, I would imagine it's quite good for nighttime shots. Um, yeah, I, it does work. I think so. And it's not over metal. It doesn't it doesn't feel like it's, you know, it, it punches through mainly on the highlights. I think. I yeah, I think I I know exactly what you mean. There's a, there's there's a kind of there's a kind of texture in the highlights from the ones that I've done that that actually can be really quite effective um so so i quite like that um 
yeah that's yeah that's that's interesting and i i would also choose often a matte finish um because a lot of mine go under glass as well so they they get put in photo frames um and hung on the wall um so that's uh that that's an interesting one but the and but and my love for the aluminium ones is is uh i don't know it's just a bit it's a bit different um uh it's often easier to get them uh finished at a slightly larger scale so you know looking looking for nice quality uh, or you know whatever your aesthetic is looking for photograph photo frames that are not a standard aspect ratio that are you know larger than eight by ten that's actually really challenging that is really challenging i agree yeah um, I've, I, I've made <laughs> yeah yeah i've had a few made um uh but and there's the then you're into choices of well do do i take it into my local town to the uh the picture framing shop and spend 50 quid frame, framing Expense, a, a five yeah. pound print which sometimes yeah. is the right thing to do right especially if it's going to be a gift for somebody or something like that you know um and you want to get it and re- done really nicely but there are actually quite a few places on the internet now that will simply make you up bespoke size frames so again you have to go searching to find the right websites and stuff like that and you'll get you, you get to put it together you know bit by bit so there'll be what what do you want the inside of the frame to look like what do you want the outside of the frame look like do you want it to be a wall hanging one or a freestanding one what kind of you know what kind of mount size do you want inside your frame what kind of glass do you want in you know do you want the standard glass that's going to be really reflective and and break at the drop of a hat or <laughs> if you sneeze on it or do you want to pay extra and get the the matte finish glass that's a bit stronger and stuff like that so there are all sorts of options which which is great because it suits every kind of budget um as well as as well as a lot of different types of aesthetic so so uh but you do have to search out the websites that 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 offer that that sort of bespoke framing service at an affordable price um and uh but yeah so so going to um and you know what i i I don't have and uh, i'm sure there'll be listeners who have strong opinions about this but i don't have a particular lab that i go to to do these prints or 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 printer or whatever i mean for years i used photo box for for basic prints and um, because it on photo box even though it's a a, a mass commodity website and um, it has a little switch in your account settings where you can say please don't apply any changes to my photographs when you fit when you print them and so you don't get that horrible thing where you've spent ages in post-production and then what you get back is something that's been auto-enhanced. <laughs> oh, no. Disaster. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's, it's terrible. But, uh, but uh, uh, you know, on, on your, in your account settings on Photobox, um, it, it was just simply one of those web services that allowed you to switch all of that off. And that's, that's how brilliant. I settled. I did, yeah, that's how I, I settled into using them for years. Yeah. Um, Ian, you were saying at the moment you're all your printing is being done you're you're sending it off to be done but you are looking to get back into darkroom printing um is this something you've done quite a lot of in the past yeah i went oh two houses ago yeah i had a <laughs> had a shed in the back garden ah graham's just got his shed excellent uh, had a shed in the back garden uh with the water but for the uh which was nice soft water for Ooh, very good uh, and uh, I did printing, and I had a, a Mayopter, which did uh, 35 mil and uh, medium format, and I had a massive Devere Vericon 504, which will do 35 all the way to large format. Um, 
but house moves dictated all that went. So I, I, all I've got left now is a little uh, lights of alloy, which I haven't used for ages, which I was given. Um, but I used to do quite a bit. Yeah, um, I wouldn't class it myself as a, a sort of great dark room, you know, expert. But I used to like it. The main problem with the dark room is time becomes very non-linear when you're in the dark room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You think um, you need a big clock in your dark room. Top tip, get a big dark room clock. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did, did you find that when you had the dark room set up, you were printing, I mean, despite the fact that it is, a, I mean, you know, we were talking to Lena last week and she was saying how much time goes into making an individual print. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find that despite that you were printing more or, or are you finding now that when you're sending stuff away and getting it done digitally um, that you're printing more stuff out? I was no, I think I was printing more when I was doing it uh, in the dark room, to be honest. And I would spend more time. Uh, it is the thing you always think you can get more out of the negative in the dark room, and you keep mm. going back to it and having another go. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, and then you know, I think genuinely, I got more enjoyment out of doing it in the dark room with, you know, traditional printing processes, to be honest. Mm. Did you do much work with like masking and toning and that kind of thing, or were you no. quite straightforward with? Straightforward. I started when Ilford made fixed grade papers, mm, right. um, which they don't anymore. I used to love their grade three. Um, mm. I did mask in the dark room here with easel and everything, um, and uh, eventually, to save time, I had a Nova print processor where you can load it all up with the chemistry and just turn it on and so that saves you um you literally just go dev stop fix wash you know and you 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 don't snatch the downside is you don't see the print to snatch it you just Mm. do it on time but that was good because it it meant the setup time for the dark room each time was quite quick. Mm. Yeah. You, you said you're going to be getting one of the um, Intrepid enlarged when it comes out. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the simplest way, especially as somebody like yourself who's sh- shooting 8x10, um, I mean, that's a great size just for doing contact prints. Exactly. Do you, Is this something you're excited about getting back into? Definitely. Yeah, I, it's what I want to be doing again. Large format, it all goes together. It's it's much easier in a way. It's almost easier than 35mm, to be honest, I think, in the dark room to some extent. Because um, 35mm is a dust magnet, in my opinion. Uh, or, you know, certainly if you do it in your garden shed, you're interested <laughs> trying to get, get rid of the dust. <laughs> Not a problem I've ever had. I am great with dust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's, it's a good point because I've, I've never shot with 8x10 uh, anything as large format as that. Um, are there any tips for working with negatives that size? Well, I think it's all easier. Uh, once, okay, if I assume you know how to develop the neg, but um, I think it's easier. I've not used 8x10 in a large, I don't have anything that big. 5.4 is easier. You just it doesn't seem because the neg's bigger the dust is relatively a smaller problem it seems to Mm, me mm. um the only problem with a a large format is the enlarger needs if you want to go big the enlarger needs to go almost you need to live in a victorian house or something with Mm -hmm. enormously high ceilings how fortunate rage yeah (laughs) (laughs) yep Uh, uh. i'm working on it (laughs) 
<laughs> your house got nice high ceilings where right? you just need to dangle things from well it. exactly this is what i was thinking you know from from the uh landing down to the <laughs> down oh you to could the... do enormous prints yeah it'd be great wouldn't it excellent that's next on my list then fab um <laughs> how, how about store how about storing them i'm just uh curious as to you know just things like dust obviously but um also scratching them and making sure that they're they're sort of archive ready for... okay so i store yeah i buy the normal um you know good quality sleeves the kenro right. yeah kenro yeah 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 i stopped buying the clear i used to contact print cheap contact print by buying the clear sleeves and just laying it on the paper yeah but uh, actually, that the clear sleeves attract dust as well. So, uh, <laughs> in my view, you're better with the old-fashioned uh, non-clear sleeves. Um, so um, I just thought, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the thing for me is that the, the however you're printing your work and getting it printed, it, 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 it's a wonderful thing to do. There is the, the what I love about the darkroom processes is that you kind of get a result. And you get to see stuff happening really quickly. And it can be very straightforward and simple, uh, especially if you're shooting large format, because you can just, you know, you were saying, Rach, you make contact prints from 4x5 stuff and the 8x10. But even if you're not shooting large format, um, the possibility of doing the same thing using digital negatives. Uh, I, I mentioned on backing paper last night that I w- I'd been experimenting with the, the fantastic kit that Rach uh, gave me for Christmas with the cyanotypes, and um, uh, and, and Rach was doing her best to, to try and sort of stop me from uh, <laughs> walking off a money cliff. But I'm really tempted. <laughs> I did to... try. I did try, guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, but to, to you know, to get a light like you use and stuff because it's such an it's such an easy way to yeah. print at home so yeah. you can you know they you can buy the transparency paper and, and there's, there's great tutorials online for how to um make a good negative to print and then you just lay that on top of the cyanotype paper wham it you know either under a light or just out in um the daylight for as long as it needs to be out there and rinse it, and you've got a physical print, and um, and that's just such a such an economical and exciting way of doing it. I mean, you know, for the investment necessary to print at home like that really is incredibly low. All you need is either some pre-treated cyanotype paper or the chemicals to do it, which are not expensive, uh, a printer, and some um, transparency paper, and you're off to the races. And the um, the creativity that you can then apply because you're putting stuff on top of it. I, I, you know, they were recommending on this website you pointed me towards, Rachel. So, you know, here's one of the things we sell. They don't sell very many things, but one of the things they tell is just a, a black Sharpie pen. It's like, yeah, use a Sharpie pen to draw on transparency mm-hmm. and then put that on your thing. Um, you created this week, Rach, for mm-hmm. uh, an exhibition, some stunning images. Can, can you talk a bit about what, what those what the process of getting those images was because there was a lot that went into it and the end <laughs> results were kind of amazing oh well that's really sweet of you uh graham thanks um yeah it was oh gosh it was one of those projects where um i just i uh, i wasn't happy with it to begin with as you know i was sort of at the point where i was like I, I could see what I want in my head and I just couldn't quite get to it um, at, at originally. And then by the time I'd sort of like 
finished the whole process, I was like, oh, yeah, it's kind of come back more almost like round in a circle to that's more or less what I was sort of after um, originally. Uh, so I went through a whole roller coaster of emotions trying to get that, that done. Um, but yeah, the um, the project that I was working on was uh, for the Museum of Liverpool. And it was um, as in response to uh, the um, Double Fantasy exhibition, which is the uh, Yoko Ono and John Lennon exhibition that was on and I ran a series of workshops with various groups of young people um, both who were able to go in and see the exhibition and those who weren't who were um, uh, being treated in hospital and things so I sort of had to take take things to them to show them how the process would work um, in the end what I did was I demonstrated and showed them and, and got them to create their own um, cyanotype prints from a selection of things either from um, uh, sort of digital negatives as Graham's just mentioned or from um, words that have been printed out or literally getting them asking them to write down um, words or phrases or or things that they might like to um to use in response to the exhibition itself which is about peace and simplicity and um and you and the power of um, positive and negative which i was like this is brilliant because it's analog photography and it uses all of these things <laughs> um so originally gathered those um original pieces which i made i asked them to make as like six by four cyanotype pieces um i pre-coated the paper and and showed them how to do that and then they all made those so i ended up with about a hundred of those i suppose um and then the next step of the process after i delivered all these workshops was then to scan all of those so I scanned all of those, also scanned the sheets of their responses, written responses on paper and things. So I got the text, if you like, written in their own hand, which I really like doing. Also spoke to the museum and asked them to send some of their floor plans because I really love using the idea of architectural drawings, um, either of, of the buildings themselves or the floor plans, the original blueprints. And I've kind of I think that's sort of part of my style. I've ended up kind of going towards using those um, as well. I've used this sort of technique on previous projects and really enjoyed the outcome. So I thought it would be a nice way of, again, centering it around this particular building, um, the people who had funded the project happening in the first place uh, and adding an element of it to that. So I then took the original scans of the original cyanotypes plus their text work um, and then created those as larger um, uh, sort of like composite images. So taking elements from each person's um, cyanotypes and bringing those together in post-production in Photoshop and made it into a composite image, which I then printed out as a uh, another digital negative, which I then lay over. Uh, so this was by this point a four size lay over um, uh, cyanotype chemistry that I'd pre-coated that I'd recoated onto larger format paper um lay the negative over that and then put that under the two cyanotype sun lamps I have the UV lamps that I have um I have two now because I had one originally and then it was one end of the country and I was doing the photography show which was at the other end of the country so I had to buy a second one uh, but it actually worked out quite well because it meant I had the two that I could um stand over the top of the uh, of two prints a three size being made at once um in order to expose those at the same time um but I had to create 10 final pieces for this so in actual fact it probably took 
um, from the point of me just just printing out the digital negatives probably took about 20 hours to actually create those final pieces um, uh, but yeah so in the end um, I took the composite images that I'd made from the text and from the digital negatives and from again some um, original um, newspaper uh, uh, photos that were in the public domain from the time and we sort of like mixed them all together uh, and created the final images from that so got those printed out uh washed them afterwards um and was just basically hanging them up uh and just sort of like seeing the the cut the blues kind of like come out which was which was cool because they take a little bit of time um to really get the vibrant blue um and then uh, and then yeah basically putting those onto mounting board and hand cutting that and then taking them along to the museum and be like here here's my babies <laughs> take them away now um but yeah they're hanging them up um in a couple of weeks so uh, that's kind of exciting so there you go that's the story of of those prints it's quite a long process <laughs> i love that though because I, I i love uh, that that is a process that just goes from analog to digital to analog to digital backwards yeah. and forwards and the end output is a an entirely analog print that yeah. you, you made using the, the oldest process going but it really does show um one all right maybe it doesn't show how easy the process can be because uh-huh. it, you you made it quite you know you did a lot it's complicated but I did. The, the, <laughs> the the end result was you put the finished negative on top of a piece of paper mm-hmm. and put it under the light yeah. so it shows how simple that can be but it also shows uh, how much opportunity for creativity oh, there can yeah. be definitely um, it's it's really versatile and it's it's so so much um uh, that you can do with that in terms of I just love that idea of, of bringing in so many different elements of of you know uh, whether that be around a particular subject or a particular location or um, just sort of making these things really special because you're um, bringing in so many different elements from people who use the space or have something to say about that particular project or whatever and I, I just think it's a lovely way of combining all of these things as a 2D or a 3D and then making it into a 2D I, it really fascinates me that whole kind of like cycle of how that can work and the layering of that yeah and, and obviously you know this kind of stuff if you are somebody who solely wants to do digital printing and there's nothing at all wrong with that and you can do all sorts of amazing stuff as we frequently mm. see in photoshop um but there is something about that palpable analog end result yes um, yeah and and darkroom stuff darkroom work whether it's for cyanotypes or traditional um printing techniques um is just so much fun and i suppose that it'd be a good point actually to bring it on to the stuff in that you would like to find a new home for yes so so what is it that you have got in well i was given as of yesterday uh, a nice uh, 35 mil meopter enlarger with um uh, easel uh, tongs mm. safe light um pretty much 90 percent that you'd need to uh, run a dark room a simple dark room and i've got in the all of that already so i don't really need it and I, I could sell it on ebay but to be honest by the time it's heavy it's not you know and i thought i'd rather give it to somebody who would enjoy and maybe new to photography printing um silver printing to have a go and enjoy the process and learn about it oh, amazing yeah i mean hopefully anybody who's been listening for the last however long we've been chatting is at least like keen to try and print some stuff at this point and it's way easier 
than you think. Again, listen back to Lena talking last week. Like once you've learned the basic rules, getting a basic print is not hard. It, I've made prints that have not been terrible. And I'm an idiot. So if I can do it, <laughs> you definitely can. Um, and I think you've been a bit harsh on yourself there, Graham. Well, <laughs> I mean, maybe a tiny bit, but um, but it, it is, it, it's not a thing to be afraid of. And it's such a cliche to talk about the magic of seeing a print appear in the, um, in the developing trays, but it is nonetheless, like all good cliches, completely true. Uh, and, and kind of, getting to the end of that process fully if you've shot the film and you've developed the film and and then you actually made a print ah dear it's 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 really good fun it's and it's one of the loveliest things seeing seeing somebody do that for the first time is just the the best feeling i mean i've i've literally had people in, in tears in the dark room you know on a workshop just being like this is just I don't know. It, there's something. It's a very different experience from anything else that you get in photography. I think. Um, You're right, Rachel. Absolutely right. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, I'm guessing that you don't want this aid. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe you've been listening <laughs> to this and going, actually, you know what? I I've realised I've been wrong all this time, and I want and to get did a great dark. job of uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that, that, that's exactly it is. It is intriguing, but the thing is, is I know that I would never ever do it, and and of course it's, it's not for me, is it? Look, yeah, if we're going to say thank you for for a very generous offer from our guest, you know, and and thank you, you know, it's a very generous offer, but it's it, it, I am not the person who is going to make use of those wonderful. Well, if I was I going to use it, maybe. I mean, what's the point in publishing a podcast every week if you can't snaffle some swag every now and again? I mean, it's like, but but the, but but it's not. I, I am not the person you're looking for, Ian. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what are we going to do, Graham? Have you thought this through already? Are we going to make something up on the spot? Well, we had a quick chat about it beforehand, didn't we? And so just so we know, so, I mean, it sounds like from what you're saying, the only, what do people need, what would people need to add to it? A, um, a lens, I suppose that's probably... Yeah, no, it's got the lens. It's, it's got oh, wow. the pretty lens. much good to go. Um, so you just need a dark room. <laughs> you need a dark room. Uh timer well actually there's a basic timer in the enlarger which i've chested today um you'll need paper chemistry um and something to keep the chemistry at the right temperature but as it's 20 degrees that's not normally too much of a problem say, do you he's gonna say you close enough we've got i don't think i ever really worry about temperature <laughs> <laughs> so so, so, so can i can i ask then because i don't really have an idea of how big one of these units is how, how big a space do, do people need to, to oh, use this. this would go at a pinch in the old-fashioned understairs cupboard or in a small bathroom you know it's it uh, you do need i always think and everybody would agree you need a in a dark room you need a dry space in larger and then you need the wet space you know the developing um but i think you can do it in quite small space to be honest i've done it in a very small garden shed uh, without any troubles you know what six by six in old money uh two meters square yeah okay all right that, that, so, so that, that that helps thank you that's exactly the kind of answer i was looking for because you're describing this thing it sounds amazing um and i have no idea whether it would fit in my house or not <laughs> but it sounds like it sounds like it would fit in almost anybody's house yeah absolutely well i think we want to try and make sure it goes to a good home someone that's going to use it now there are some provisos aren't there and so first off distance is something of a proviso because you're down in um sunny devon um so as far as location, I mean, I guess if people want to travel down to you, 
That's they not a problem. Come. Yeah, they if they, they range pickup, that's fine. Or I'm happy to drive, say, 100 miles towards the north somewhere so <laughs> motorway service. not into the sea <laughs> <laughs> or to france well no if a french listener wants it that's fine i'll go across but uh no i'm happy to drive up the motorway and do sort of a, an exchange in a motorway services or something like that if necessary so, i have i have done this very thing with a gentleman with a um with a wasp enlarger actually ah <laughs> not funny uh, yeah, a wasp in um, Yeah, it's, it it looks like a wasp, like a gold wasp's bum. Oh, <laughs> oh, but it doesn't enlarge wasps. No, no. that would be cool it's... though, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be terrifying. <laughs> it would be absolutely terrifying. Have you ever seen the the movie The Fly? Yeah, uh, yeah, probably several incarnations of it. Yes. Yeah. So so you know how terrifying that is. So let's not go there. No. Uh, scared i'm too scared um no but it's called the the wasp do you know do you know the one i mean ian have you seen one no but i think i used it my started on a gnome alpha which is a really old uh i bought the whole dark room kit on ebay for eight quid can you believe it that was was about in the 90s you know when everybody was clearing out yeah didn't get it quite that cheap unfortunately but yeah it just made me laugh like the idea of uh, if you head up to a a motorway services or something exactly like i did so yeah it it seems to be just like a random thing here have an enlarger so that's a good (laughs) that's a good segue rach actually are we going to do this in a random way graham is this what we're going to do ask people who are interested in it to, to to let us know is that what's going to happen here well, I thought, I mean, what, what Ian suggested earlier was maybe get people to submit um, an, an image that they would like Ooh. to make a darkroom print of. And, <gasps> and I think maybe uh, maybe if people submit, if, if you send in an image, uh, you know, send in your picture that you get, this is the picture that I would like to print. So probably 35 mil, I think it's a 35 mil in larger. Um, and maybe just a, a short piece with it saying, this is why you'd like it and how you would use it. Um just to go with it. Um, does that sound good. good to you, Ian? That's absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then we'll uh, once. What do we can give it a couple of weeks, two weeks. Yeah, it's two no weeks. problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Ian can peruse over them, and then we can announce on a future backing paper episode. Um, but yeah, I, I have to believe that there is somebody out there who could make amazing use out of this to create beautiful work um, within a hundred miles of Devon. Yes. <laughs> within well, I mean, yeah, further if they're prepared to trundle on down there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that would be fantastic. So there you go, listeners. If this is something that appeals to you, and it should appeal to everybody, but yeah. send us in to sunny16podcast at gmail.com uh, a, an image that you go, this is an image I would love to make a darkroom print of, and just a very short thing of why you'd like to have the, why you'd like to have it and how you would use it. Um, just so we know it would go to a good home and good get used, not be you know not go to somebody like Aid who would use it to hang his coats <laughs> on. Um, oh, can you I'm use sure. it for that? I need one of those. <laughs> <laughs> a, a it's a coat rack enlarger. It'll go right. It'll go. It'll go next to all, all of my cameras that have been turned into lamps. <laughs> oh, don't do that! Oh no! Oh no! Uh, They're all in thematics as well. You don't listen. <laughs> I hate that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you very much, Ian, for that really generous thing to do. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, I really hope some. I hope we get some people wanting to take you up on that um, because dark printing is great fun and it's easy, and everybody should have a go at it. Um, and I, I, once my dark shed is up and running, Aid, you're definitely going to have to come up and have a play. 
Cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like a baby. You can walk away from it and you don't have to get involved for any length of time. But you're you're not, you, do, you do know you're not supposed to walk away from babies, don't you? <laughs> oh, other people's, it's fine. If someone gives you a baby and it's not yours, you can just put it down and go, no, I'm bored with this baby now and leave. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yes, if only. Right, but, anyway. check out my childcare podcast. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Let's. Okay. So uh, let's let, let's let's before the, uh, the the conversation disintegrates um, into bad childcare. Uh, let, let's try and wrap up the show then. Thank, shall we? Um, you know, Ian, it's been great to talk to you, and yes, and and thank you again for for your very generous offer for our listeners. Uh, that's that's going to be awesome. Um, and uh, you know, uh, I guess uh, a question we always like to ask: um, Have you enjoyed being on the show? I have. I mean, I've not done a podcast ever, so it's uh, yeah, it's been good fun actually, and uh, a bit of a learning curve. But yeah, it's been great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, it. Oh, well, you're most welcome. And 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 you're a natural. I had no idea it was your first time. So um, yeah. yeah, very impressive. Very impressive performance. You'll have to come back and uh, teach us all how to do it properly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and and of course, and Graham mentioned this right at the top of the show, but that's a long time ago for anybody that's listening in one go. Uh, but we do like to give our ch- our guests the chance to direct the listeners to their work on the internet. So, so where can our listeners go and find uh, your work? I'm on Instagram. I'm I Fleming on Instagram, and funnily enough, I'm I Fleming on Flickr. That's it. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Just yes. Google Ian Fleming. You'll find out. You know, he's yeah, an yeah, easy yeah. person to track down on the internet. <laughs> no, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been scrolling gently through your Flickr uh, um, site or page or whatever. What do they call them on Flickr? I don't know. Um, for, either. for 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 as as we go through the show, there's some pretty awesome stuff there. So I can I can vouch for the Flickr link users. I'm sure Graham will diligently put it in the show notes, um, and uh, and uh, yeah, go and go and check out Ian Ian's work. Right, okay, that brings us uh, to the end of the show. Unless colleagues, there are any other business. I don't think. so No, I don't think so. Um, it, just to say thank you so much, Ian. It's been lovely um, to have a chat, and also to thank you for all of your previous, um, you know, correspondence to us at the show. We really appreciate it. It's been lovely to uh, uh, to finally put a voice to the to the emails. I think. <laughs> oh, I, I, sorry. No, actually, I have just thought of one thing. Uh, of course which, you have. Um, <laughs> of course I have, um, which will be of a special. But, um, for all listeners who've been waiting and all hosts who have been waiting with bated breath to find out what's going to happen with the judging Cheap of the Cheap Shot Shots Challenge, Challenge yeah. that will be happening next week. <laughs> um, so oh, enjoy. We... <laughs> So I, I still haven't developed my role film either, but now we have a deadline because uh, next week we will be joined by the delight that is Claire Bailey returning to us to judge the fashion round. So I can't wait to have Claire back on again because she's lovely um, and she will be passing judgment. We will do what we did last time. We will be giving Claire all of the images that have been submitted and then she'll be going through beforehand and picking her personal 10 shots and then talking about them on the show. Uh, so there is that to look forward to next week, listeners. Exciting cool. stuff. Does, I, I, just, I have, I have processed mine. Just need to find where I've put my sleeve of negatives now. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> my filing system is not the best. So uh, I shall have to work on that. I'll have to find them out. 
okay, cool. All right. Well, in that case, then, I think that does bring us to the end of show 145. Five, <laughs> yay! <laughs> it's just got up on my screen because I didn't know earlier on, so I had to set up the recording file as 14X, so I haven't <laughs> got no, no visual <laughs> reference on on, on, the, on my screen in front of me about what show we're actually recording. But, and, of course, many. because as, as, <laughs> as we tend to these days to fly without show notes because we're that good and that professional um uh, so i now have to remember how to do the end of the show (laughs) you can get in touch with us on the internet we are the sunny 16 podcast pretty much anywhere start at sunny 16 podcast.com and that's probably good advice especially for this week because that's where graham puts all the uh entries for the cheap shots challenge isn't it graham or is it matthew that does that uh no they they will be up there they will be up there At at the moment if you check out um any of the like the show notes from backing paper last night there was a link there to where they are but they will be up on the website uh imminently <laughs> that famous word imminently, imminently. when everything happens imminently just like uh, just like all those kickstarter deliveries we've been talking about they'll be delivered exactly. imminently yes okay yeah. excellent glad to hear it uh so yeah please do get in touch folks uh and uh, just uh I, I guess that that the uh, entries for the cheap shots challenge are closed now graham just in case there were any yes. late late entries no it it all closed up now because like i said i needed to to send it off to claire so she can start perusing and judging so no all closed now okay in which case then listeners you'll just have to hold your breath and wait and see what happens uh next week yeah exciting we'll get a new uh a new theme yeah Yeah. oh yes not many left in the box now either Mm. so i think uh thank god for that So any anyway, we will play you out shortly uh, with uh, Rachel's band uh, Rocker, um, whose album "Promises I Should Have Kept" you can find on all major channels, but especially iTunes where, uh, and and Spotify and Amazon. Rach, that's right. Excellent. Yes, well done. Good stuff. <laughs> um, and uh, and in case we ha- uh, any of you are still left left listening to the very end, thank you very much for all your support. And if you would like to to uh, buy us a cup of coffee, you can go to coffee dot com slash sunny 16 podcast uh your your generosity is what allows us to reinvest in the show we got uh do you know what it's working as well because we got so much positive feedback from the show that we recorded at the photography show uh which was of course made possible by the generosity of our listeners who who funded the purchase of uh whatever it is that graham is now recording on some sort of handheld recorder isn't it graham yeah, that's it. Zoom H4, H4. Something number other. Yeah, so so uh, thank you, listeners, for your continued generosity, and we will continue to plow that back into the show. Um, that's it. Uh, uh, as always, it has been an honour and a pleasure to talk to you all. Uh, we'll speak to you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.